Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we have an interview with the couple behind Rowan's dog therapy team. It really is all about having fun with your dogs, even if you've got a problem. The way to come through it is to have fun with it while you're learning, because humour always relaxes. Stress always makes things worse. Plus the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, it's nearly that time of year again, and to get you in a festive mood, we have the first part of a fantastic interview with Ken Cragen about the movie The Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Not only is this a heartwarming family film, it has an inspiring story behind it. Because before The Twelve Dogs of Christmas was a film or a book, it was... Well, I'll let Ken explain how his daughter came up with the idea. Yeah, it's really kind of fun. My, we were at a Christmas luncheon with my dad, uh, my sister, and a bunch of her kids who were much older than Emma, probably 10 years older. And uh, Emma at the time was seven years old. My daughter's name is Emma. And um, so she, she got bored. And so she turned over the placemat, which is a paper placemat, and she started drawing dogs. And then she took the very famous classical song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, which I think was written by some English monks, uh, and she um, she turned it into the Twelve Dogs of Christmas. And so where there had been a partridge in a pear tree, there was now a poodle in a doghouse. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a poodle in a doghouse. The fifth day, beca- five golden rings became five golden retrievers. The sixth day... <laughs> Six boxers boxing, seven labs laughing, eight sheepdogs sleeping, and so on. And then on the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a cat. <laughs> well, we I sent it to a publisher who I had a book deal with. Lo and behold, he gave my advance to my daughter, <laughs> put out the book, got me to go get a bunch of celebrity friends' kids and do a recorded record. And the book and record together sold six so far. It's still selling. And this is 15 years later. It's still selling. Uh, it sold 600,000 copies. Excellent. And excellent. it put her through from the sixth grade here on. She's now in grad school and film school making films. And she's uh, just started that. It'll put her all the way through grad school. Not just the book, because the book then turned into a, a line of stuffed dogs that Walmart sold 400,000 plush little small 12 dogs that they had in Walmart for a wow. couple of and then, uh, and then um, an Academy Award director friend of mine um, who has, is a Mormon, and he has eight children and 35 grandchildren, and he sent me a picture of two of his grandchildren reading my daughter's book. Hmm. And I sent him back an idea that we had to make a film out of this. We actually had a treatment that had been written. Yeah. And two weeks later, he sent me the finished script. And, wow. Uh, and... So I, his name is Keith Merrill, and I said, Keith, let's go make this movie. So we went off to Maine, up in the up in Maine, hoping for snow. Got very little; had to truck most of it in. Uh, but we made the film with every possible thing going wrong imaginable. <laughs> but I, I always say, if the you know, I always say, if the baby comes out healthy and looking good, boy, you forget how hard the labor was. <laughs> yes, and we made this delightful picture called Twelve Dogs of Christmas." And we couldn't get a studio and we couldn't get a network. No one would buy it from us. So we started distributing, you know, everything that happens in life happens for a good reason. Here we were out in the cold having spent, uh, you know, about $2 million making this movie and which I'd taken a second on my house and gotten some other people to invest in. And, and, but I got the Walmart distributor to put up half the money. So we went to Walmart and distributed it. Next thing you know, here we were, uh, by the end of uh, the seventh year last year, we sold a million two hundred and fifty thousand copies of this DVD. Wow! You know, and we'd been on television in our fourth and fifth year. We got some TV. We also, I mean, it's it was available all over the world. It sold well in England. Uh, uh, it uh, went to forty countries, mm. and so we have this big success story now. Now, of course, when I, when last Christmas we did one hundred and thirty-seven thousand more. And we're top 10 at Netflix and really everywhere. When that happened, I called up the writer-director, uh, Keith Merrill, and I said, can you write a sequel to this? And <laughs> I, 
he did. In another few weeks, he had he wrote me a sequel. We went out this spring and shot it, this time in Salt Lake, because my director's a Mormon and had a lot of friends there. 23 of his grandchildren are in the new movie. And this time, the studios all wanted it, and we sold it to Sony. And they put it out out here in the U.S. They put it out on, in October. It's been out a couple of weeks now and doing extremely well. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's coming out in Canada, and I think it, it'll be in England. It'll be in uh, – the French were the first to buy it. They bought – the French bought the new movie before we even went into filming. Wow. Uh, and we sold to Germany. We sold all over the Scandinavian countries. We sold in Asia and Australia. It's just pretty much all over the world. Yeah. It it must have been, you know, when the first movie was being made particularly, I mean, when the book was, was selling well as well, but it must have been incredibly personal for you, you know, to be making a film of of Emma's original, you know, idea and for her to actually be, you know, so close to that project going along as well. Yeah, we were one of the fortunate things is during the time that we were making the film in Maine, she had her two week spring break from high school. Mm. And she was fourteen. She might have even been in junior high school over here. Uh and she came to the set for two weeks and the director handed him his up high end video camera and said, Emma, go make a behind-the-scenes documentary uh, on the film. Excellent. So for the the next two weeks, she went out and shot stuff on the film, and she went home and edited it into a little seven-minute piece. And I look at it, it's not bad for a kid who'd never done that. And now, of course, she's in film school wanting to be a cinematographer, so I directly credit what he did there. But we put it on the DVD, so the first DVD, The Twelve Dogs of Christmas, the original movie, uh, has a little seven-minute piece with Emma uh, that Emma made uh, as the little behind-the-scenes documentary after the actual film. So she had great involvement there, and I tried to involve her as much as possible. And then, and that was a very personal film. Trouble with that film really was all of the problems. I mean, you you know, <clears throat> sometimes making a film is a war, and mm. very often. And the day before we left to go do that film, the lead girl's parents pulled her out of the film. And she was the star of the movie. Oh, Christ. So we had to replace her in 24 hours. My director and all the crew and everybody had already left for Maine. I'm sitting in Los Angeles with my casting director, and we're looking at one girl after another. And it took, 20, it took about 24 hours. Mid-afternoon the next day, the casting director came with a thumbs-up sign from a reading she'd just done, brought the girl in, and the next morning we shipped her off to Maine. Oh. Off I went, too, to to start working on the picture. But then every other thing that could go wrong went wrong. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. We had the the dog trainer. You'll love this as a dog person. Mm. Dog trainers, the two dog trainers, very professional trainers, cast all these dogs, but none of them were professional except for one. Mm. The poodle in that first film is a pro, and everybody, all the other dogs are untrained. You'd be amazed at the stuff we get them to do as they're untrained. But so now we're it's it's eight o'clock at night. We're starting to shoot it. We're going to the set at six the next morning on a Monday morning. And on Sunday night, before we start to shoot, the two dog trainers come to us and their opening line is go home. Mm. <laughs> what do you mean? They said, you can't make this film. And they had legal size pages, about four of them, of everything the dogs had to do in the movie. And they'd rank, and they'd rank them from most difficult ten down to one easiest. And they said, "Look at all these things that these dogs have to do. There is no physical way for this to ever happen. Go home. We're going to leave." Cause the night we're starting to shoot, mm-hmm. and they're telling us they're going to leave. We spent the next two hours convincing them to say, "My." My director was getting so irate at the, at the whole thing, I sent him to his room to work on the script and got him out of there. And the other, one of my young producers, kid actually who had produced uh, Napoleon Dynamite and just graduated from USC Film School, he and I sat there and talked these guys into staying. And do you know, every night they told us what we couldn't do, and every day they did. And at the, at the end of the movie, they said to us, that's the most fun and the best movie we've ever done and it's so funny and here they were 
saying it was impossible. But, you know, I've always believed it's easier to do the impossible than the ordinary. <laughs> and these guys pulled it off. And you go back to them and they say, we get more comments on what we did in that film than anything. And they're top, top professional dog training. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it just was quite an experience. And, uh, and then everything else possible went wrong. I mean, you know, we had cameras break and uh, the first day cameramen. So we had old cars. We were, it's a movies based in the 1930s in the depression. And, and, uh, the old cars we got, not one of them would run. We had to push them. Oh, watch the We've actually pulled the cars into the scene and pulled them out or rolled them in and rolled them out. We've, you know, but we, we got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you did set yourselves a challenge, didn't you? Because really, I mean, they say never work with children and animals. So, so and have snow a... <laughs> and snow. On top of it, although we had to truck the snow in every day, oh, but wow. it didn't snow. It snowed the first night and then it started raining the next day and got up to 50 degrees from there on. It was a nightmare. Oh, but, you know, you look at the film, you'll never know any of that. It's warm and wonderful and delightful. Lots of music, lots of, uh, kids and dogs and fun and yeah and, uh yeah. it's so, a good story and tell me tell me something about the storyline of it ken well the original story because what happened was my assistant had a her husband was a writer for and a, and a producer on this movie space jam that was partly animation and partly it was the one with michael jordan in it, it came out some years ago so i asked him if he'd write the original treatment and as he said but i was thinking and so was uh everybody else that it was going to be direct to DVD and an animated film. But he sat down next to his computer and he had Annie and it's a wonderful life sitting there. And they're both live action films. Mm. He looked at that and they're based in the depression, both of them. And he looked at them and he sat down and he wrote a full length live action film based in the depression. And the story that he wrote, which is very clever was a girl's father, a girl, uh, uh, her mother had passed away. And the father couldn't afford to pay and keep her. They were running out of money and food. He is out of work. And so he sends her to her aunt in another town. Well, her aunt turns out to be an old girlfriend who hates him because he left her. And so her aunt doesn't, I mean, her aunt in quotes, it's yeah, not really yeah. her aunt. You know, her, she, she immediately says she doesn't want anything to do with the kid. But one of she's a hairdresser and one of her clients talks her into you know, the poor girl, feed her, keep her here. So she does. But sort of, you know, as a gruff, she later, of course, in the movie evolves into a tremendous supporter of the girl. But in the early stages, the poor girl has got that problem. Now she's going to a strange school in a town, it turns out, that's banned dogs. And so she finds out that there's some incident that happened in which the town has banned dogs. And the mayor's brother is the dog catcher. And what is he doing is he's rounding up dogs and he's taking them to sell them to a dog uh, fighting ring. Hmm. And so she discovers this and uh, she uh, ultimately uh, breaks that. She goes and rescues the dogs and she gets the kids to put on. What happens is that um, one of the women there has formed a dog orphanage to take the dog. She's outside of the edge of town. They end up moving the edge of town out to try and acquire her property and get their dogs. But they want to, you know, sell her dogs to dog fighting. But she um, uh, she has a dog orphanage, but she they need to, to change the town's attitude. So they they create this musical around the 12 Dogs of Christmas and the song, because there's a song, you know, to the same music as the original. Hmm. Hmm. There's a 12 Dogs of Christmas song. You can go online and see. You can see the finale, actually, on, on YouTube. And uh, we've got lots of stuff up on YouTube. And then on the new movie, we well, the old movie's trailer and the new movie's trailer are at, um, at 12dogsofchristmas.com, just the number 12dogsofchristmas.com. And then the new movie has a uh, Facebook page, 12 Dogs of Christmas 2. But, um, but... You know, they're they're just fun. That's the basic story. And then in the new story, the new film, um, she comes back because the woman who has formed the dog orphanage has died. Hmm. And her son is kind of her son and this girl. By the way, the director named it the same as my daughter, named her Emma. Hmm. So in the film, played by an actress, uh, now uh, she comes back. 
in the second film and is because the woman has passed away. And in the meantime, the boy gets injured and she has to stay on to take care of the dogs. And the new threat this time is an evil guy who owns most of the town who's trying to buy the farm, the dog orphanage farm, and turn it into a uh, dog racing, uh, a greyhound racing facility. And he's going to kill off all these dogs. So she once again saves the dogs and once again stages a big musical to raise the money to save the farm. And uh, we put on a more high school type version of the finale now. Mm. Bigger, bigger, better, fancier, big, big musical version. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds great. I, I know you, you sort of mentioned that with having more puppies in the second one as well, that was an issue in itself, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that The second one is called The Twelve Dogs of Christmas Great Puppy Rescue. And... You know, the original script wasn't so much about puppies, although puppies were in it, but the studio really wanted the word puppies in the title because <laughs> apparently that really draws crowd. So we had to get puppies into the movie. Well, little do we know when we agreed to that, that the restrictions have become extremely strong on using puppies in films. And that's particularly true. The American Humane, the American Humane Association, which is... Um, the sort of governing body on movies. Now they can't, they can only prod you and not give you their seal of approval, but nobody really wants to go against them. Mm -hmm. So they basically have rules that say you can't use puppies younger than eight weeks. If Okay. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you do use puppies, they prefer 10 to 12 weeks. Well, by that time puppies have been dispersed and you can't get a group of puppies together you know, even eight yeah. weeks is late. So that's a big problem. Finding the puppies, you know, is one problem. Secondly, um, if you do use the puppies, everybody on the crew has to wear uh, boots. The whole area has to be clean. They can't work around other dogs. You have to uh, wear uh, things over your shoe. Now, by the way, this is only true in the U.S. at this point, as far as I know. Hmm. You have to wear stuff over your shoes, and you have to step in these baths and you have to wear gloves and you have to uh, step in these baths of uh, some kind of disinfectant before you step on the stage. Oh. We had to do all that. Well, what we finally ended up having to do with all those restrictions was devote a day at the end of the shooting, at the end of the filming and end of production. We took one day to shoot all of our puppy scenes as inserts. So we used computer generated graphics and other things to put puppies throughout the film. Oh. Uh, but we had to place them in afterwards because we couldn't put them in with regular dogs. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing we did was use some small dogs that looked like they could be puppies in the actual shooting when we were shooting. So we had, you know, types of dogs that you can't really tell how grown they are. Uh, we did some of that. But it was quite a task. And when you have a film called Great Puppy Rescue, you know, <laughs> Dogs Christmas Great Puppy Rescue, I love the story of how a bored seven-year-old came up with the idea that went on to be a book and a film and a sequel. You can hear more behind-the-scenes stories in the next Dogcast Radio episode, and you can find out more about the film at 12dogsofchristmas.com. And we also have links to trailers and clips of the film on the Dogcast Radio site. Many thanks to Ken for taking the time to talk to me. Histories are more full of examples of the fidelity of dogs than of friends. Alexander Pope You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA for short, have been urging children to abandon traditional Thanksgiving food. In areas of the USA and Canada, PETA has been putting up billboards near schools featuring a photoshopped image of a turkey's body with a dog's head, along with the caption, Kids, if you wouldn't eat your dog, why eat a turkey? Go vegan! Just as therapy for more controversy, children can download a tombstone from the PETA site to put on their turkey, which proclaims, here lies the corpse of a tortured bird. 
While the campaign is sure to grab some headlines and inspire debate, is it really fair to manipulate children in this way? And is it fair of PETA to make use of a child's dog when they don't believe in pet ownership? We'd be interested in your views on this one. But now from turkeys to birds of prey. In Dundee in Scotland, a four-year-old Jack Russell Terrier called Ollie had a run-in with a hawk which could cost him his life. The hawk was being exercised close to where Ollie was being walked and for whatever reason, the bird flew at Ollie and somehow got hold of his tongue, with the result that so much of Ollie's tongue is now missing that there is serious doubt whether he will be able to drink or eat independently again. The hawk owner apologised, had insurance which covered the vet's fees, and has offered to have the bird put to sleep if Ollie's owner wants that. It seems to be an extremely unfortunate accident, and let's hope that Ollie does manage to adapt, and that we don't see more incidents of this type in the future. Winter is full of potential dangers, but there was a happier outcome in Essex in the UK, although it was nearly a very different story. Michael Dabbs was walking his two dogs, Smudge and Ben, when he ended up trapped in freezing water after going into a river to rescue Ben. Michael, now holding Ben, became trapped, but clever Smudge attracted the attention of a passerby, and police and paramedics soon had both human and dog hauled up the bank to safety. After his traumatic two hours in the river, Michael's temperature had gone down to 28 degrees centigrade, that's 82.4 degrees Fahrenheit, but after just six hours in the hospital, he was fine. However, do be aware that dogs are much more able to get out of danger in a river than humans are, so please be very careful if your dog gets into difficulties. Meanwhile, in Australia, there have been very positive stories connected with children and dogs. At the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney, they were celebrating 10 years of dog therapy visits for children in the hospital. The Delta Society Australia has over the years organised visits from volunteers and their dogs of all shapes, sizes, breeds and mixes, who all have one thing in common. They have excellent temperaments and have enhanced the lives of those they visit. During a special ceremony, owners were given awards and dogs were given doggy treats to honour their commitment to the programme. The Delta Society, a registered charity, not only offers comfort to sick children, but dogs also visit residents of aged care facilities and go to schools to teach children about dog safety. And talking of schools, Footscray North Primary School in Maribyrnong, Melbourne, has been benefiting from another Delta-approved dog. Amitz the Rottweiler has been going into the school for the children to read to as a reward and motivation, and the good news is that the kids are finding sessions with Amitz some of the best motivation in the world. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. It is scarcely possible to doubt that the love of man has become instinctive in the dog. Charles Darwin Browning and Roland Marks have brought their combined skills together to form Rowan's Dog Therapy Team, offering a team approach to dog training. I spent some time with them and noticed that one of the most important members of the team is one of their border collies, Sam. He helps in their assessments of particularly problem dogs, but he had a fairly problematic start in life himself, as Anne explains. He was rescued from a farm which we thought originally was a rehoming job. Hmm. He was three years old and never been off the farm, mm. never been on a lead, wow. and never done any training. He had been there, down to work sheep, but he wasn't very good at it. Mm. And when we picked him and the other one up, um, we put him in the van and we found out that his one back leg was just angling. Oh. And what had happened 18 months earlier... They put him on the back of the quad bike to go out and work sheep. Now, we don't know whether we'd done it on the quad bike or whether he'd done it while he was out, but he came back from his day's work with his leg really limply dangling, mm. his back leg, and the farmer said, oh, he'll be all right, don't worry about him. So mm. he'd worked for 18 months with a very badly dislocated back leg, yeah. which um, the, the um, people we got him from off the farm weren't in the slightest bothered about, and they said, he's fine, don't worry about it. We took him to a vet and found out that it was very, very badly dislocated and um, had grown in the wrong position. Oh. So it's cost over a £1,000 for two operations and had him plated. And he's now as right as rain, but he's become such a good therapy dog yeah. that he's ended up staying. <laughs> 
Uh, he's got to win his keep as well now after yeah, all that lot. But yeah. he he has never done any training or anything, and he's absolutely marvellous. Yeah, he's uh, and he's very very lucky. Mm. He's very very mm. lucky because he couldn't walk properly at one time, mm. and he just loves running and running and running, and he absolutely adores you. Mm. Um, he's got such soft eyes. He has. He? he has. He's mm. just so affectionate, and I think it's really because he's so pleased that he was yeah. the new life he's got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he's an absolutely wonderful dog. Because as you say, they do feed off the energy around. So if the energy is, we love you, or if the energy is, yeah. couldn't care less about you, mate. Yeah, it's... yeah. He, he was, uh, both the dogs we had were off the farm were um, very, very thin, very knotted, very smelly. Mm. Um, and they're both now absolutely wonderful dogs. The other one has got a little bit of um, mental problems. Mm. He's not quite so structurally balanced. And this one had the physical problems. But they both got great homes now, yeah. um, which is good. Okay, so tell me about the because I'm really interested in this therapy team yeah. approach. So tell me about what what do you have on offer via that team? Well, the team is myself as the behaviourist and the therapist with the the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Ro is Roland is the uh, trainer, the main mm-hmm. trainer. We both do training, but he's we, he does more of the training side. When we have our classes, Ro does the um, the basic obedience, uh, stays and sendaways, and the recalls and all that. And I do tricks. Mm. So we have them going through tunnels, over jumps, uh, skateboarding, ringing bells, mm. uh, weaving between the legs. So we have fun stuff as well as serious yeah. stuff. That's great, actually, because sometimes when you go to classes, it can be, do this, do this, do this, call your dog back, you know. And sometimes you think, I want to do something interesting that I can show off to my friends with. That's, you know, that's some of the appeal, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, We do do drop on command as well. Hmm. And send away. And send away. So basically the dog's going to walk along beside you. You command the dog to wait whilst you're moving. Yeah. You can't stop. You carry on moving. Drop your dog. Walk off. Come back. Collect your dog. Mm. And he's very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, we put tidbits in front of them and they're not allowed to touch them until they're told. Um, and they pick things up and carry them, weaving between your legs, all the kind of pugsy stuff mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. dogs. Have you seen an increase after Pugsy won Britain's Yes. Yeah. Yes. And people wanting to do more stuff than just the basics. Um, mm. So that when the dogs come, they don't just have the scene, they're not just bored with the serious stuff. Yeah. The owners enjoy it. Um, you can see me th- um, crawling through the tunnel earlier on. <laughs> that was my favourite part that of the day. That was my favourite part, yes. I end up having to do that every week. They, they, we, yeah, we have a good laugh. Yeah. We have a good laugh. Yeah. The dogs then become relaxed. Uh, they yeah. always go home learning something different yeah. and then they, they, they practice it. So they've got all lots of little skills and, yeah, they, they yeah. enjoy it. It's a night out. And that's important, actually, that you do have a laugh because at the end of the day, it's the owner that gets in the car and drives the dog to the lesson. So yeah. if you're not motivated to do it, yeah. however much the dog wants to go, Absolutely. he's not getting there without Absolutely. you. And if so. they come in and everything's serious and we're serious and we're demanding that you do this, that and the other, they're not going to enjoy it. And especially when they come for the first time, most people are a little bit stressed and a little bit mm-hmm. anxious. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take them long to see how stupid and silly the rest of us are. <laughs> and they then tend to relax. Mm-hmm. And that's when then, after the first three or four minutes, the people relax, the dogs relax, and then it flows nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really is all about having fun with your dogs, even if you've got a problem. Yeah. The way to come through it is to have fun with it while you're learning. Because humour always relaxes. Yeah, yeah. Stress always makes things worse. Absolutely. So we are 100% on using humour as much as possible mm. with the owners. Yeah, yeah. That then goes transfers down to the dog. Absolutely. And sometimes when you get it wrong, you learn more from having got it wrong. You know, I always think, as long as I can think, I, I know what I did wrong, I know how to do that better next yeah. time, then failing was yeah. worth it. You know? Yeah. It's, we, um, always, we always pick it out and... and have a laugh when somebody does it wrong yeah, yeah. because they don't get so stressed about having yeah. it wrong and then everybody else will think well I did that mm, um, mm. and it joins in and everybody that comes to the classes have had or has got problems with their dogs mm, mm. so then they are quite happy to sit back while we're working with somebody whereas yeah. sometimes you go to classes and everything is dogs that can do it all properly then you get a dog coming with classes with, with a, into a class that has got a problem and they tend to hold other people back or they get a little bit oh god it shouldn't be here we can't do this now mm. we can't do that mm. whereas with these classes it's nearly all problem dogs anyway um, yeah and then yeah. we all kind of laugh at each There's other a camaraderie isn't there <laughs> there is and it has become a really really good solid group 
Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. It's, and it's great. That's yeah. what we like about it. Okay, now tell me more about the treadmill. Because I think there's going to be some people... We, we've covered treadmills before, but I know there's going to be some people rolling their eyes going, treadmills, get out on the road. So what, why do we use a treadmill? We can use it for many, many different reasons. We, we use it in our behavioural work. If we've got dogs that are very, very hyper with loads of energy uh, and they come into wanting to do a class and the dogs are just too hyper that they can't come, calm down and actually settle into the training. Yeah. So we can put them on the treadmill, we can give them 10 minutes or so at, at a good pace on the treadmill, they come out a little bit more tired, some of the anxious frustration has gone mm. because mm. they've had that good exercise, they come in and they're more susceptible to the training. Yeah. yeah. That's one reason. Um, for conditioning, getting dogs fitter, that are already already fit, uh, agility dogs if they've had injuries yeah a lot for obese overweight dogs yeah where because they're already overweight they can't walk very far distance yeah. wise or the owners may be old and they can't walk very far yeah. so the dogs don't get much exercise so they're overweight yeah, yeah. Uh, so we can give them at a, a nice walking pace at a, a whether it's four minutes five minutes whatever we need to a bit of a rest mm. put them on again uh, once or twice a week and you can see the inches starting to drop off yeah. and the muscles starting to come on uh, and also for rehabilitation from injury Mm. Um, we've just signed one off that was a staffy that had lost, got muscle wastage on his one back leg after injury and he's been on it for a couple of months once a week and built his muscles back up, got lots of fit now we've just signed him off and he's mm. back to fitness again um, we've got dogs with um, uh, had having fits yeah. that again wasn't able to get enough exercise so that was able to keep them fit mm. she was having problems with the back legs and we've had a couple in today who have got injuries that they're going to have bet referrals mm. uh, the the water treadmills are great for um when you've had injuries etc that you want non-weight bearing mm. exercise D- water treadmill you mean yeah. a treadmill in yeah, in, in a pool the water now a treadmill no. which has got a case glass case around it and you put the dog in and then it fills up with water um, up to about their waist yeah, how on earth service. do you get a treadmill to work in water? Well, they're, they're specially sealed, aren't they, I <laughs> yeah. think. Uh, and then you, you fill it up to the, the, the dog's waist mm. so that it just has the weight bearing taken off mm. in the water. That must be wonderful because I've done aqua aerobics. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't like exercise very much, but aqua aerobics is quite fun and you don't get boiling hot. So yeah. it must be just as, as fun for the dogs. Um, some of them like it, some of them don't. But yeah. They, they yeah. tend to get used to it. Yeah. Uh, again, that is for non-weight bearing exercise Um, obviously they're going to get wet so you've got all the drying afterwards um, and then when you go on to more weight bearing exercises where your land mill treadmill comes into uh, and it's like a human one but slightly different design Um, obviously got safety connections and everything on it so the dog can't get hurt but it's um, it's excellent for keeping condition building up muscle um, and getting them back into fitness yeah and for the behavioral side as well so we, we do use it an awful lot every week we're using we've got dogs on it yeah it's brilliant. it sounds really useful yes um and i'm going to give roland a <laughs> chance now <laughs> so um would you say to someone who's because when you've got a problem dog you can feel very isolated and, and, and I've got a dog that's reactive so it is what, something that you can sort of think oh, i'm not going out i'm not going to let this happen i'm you know so would you say to someone that is sitting at home thinking, you know, my dog's got a problem and nobody can help me, go and find, whether it's you or whether it's yeah, someone local to them? Go and find a help, yeah, because there is help out there. Um, and if you don't go out and find a help, then things will just get from go from yeah. bad to worse. Yeah. Um, and then you, you finish up with a dog that may be, you know, um, dog-to-human aggression or dog-to-dog aggression. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid, just go out there. Yeah. Because we've all been there. Yeah. And we've all yeah. got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the other thing, we've talked today about there being more answers than, than questions. And sort of, it, it's almost like, it, I think, when two trainers agree, you better take their temperatures quickly because one of them's ill. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so and it's, sometimes that, that's bewildering. But I think it's also useful because you're going to find something that works for your dog. So would you say try it and see if it works? And see yeah, if it works. everything's got to be tried. Um, that, that's why we get our dogs to where we are uh, or where they are because you, know, you might try something, it may not work for your dog. Mm. So therefore you try something else and you keep trying until you find a solution that works for your dog. Mm. Um, none of our dogs uh, in training will 
get away with any exercise. Mm. If, it, if they are, told, are put into a, a sit stay and they move, they're taken back. And they keep get, get taken back until they do sit stay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the same as a wait or drop on command. Yeah. yeah. Every dog got to do it. Um, until they perfect it, yeah, and they do perfect it. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, he has, hasn't he, Sam Max? Because yeah. you just told him to lie there, and there were dogs, people, everything going on, yes, and he was just yeah. lying there quite happily. Yeah, he, he would do uh, an all-day sit-stay. If I told him to, yeah. to to stay, I don't allow him to sit for a long period of time. Yeah, um, I allow him to lie. Yeah, so yeah. because it's the most comfortable position for him, but he will lie there all day until I release him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what I expect from my dog. You know that uh, he does what I want him to do. Yeah. Um, and he enjoys what he does. Yeah. Uh, Given a new, new lease of life. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 So the Rowan team have a number of ways to help dogs and owners. And in the next interview, you can hear a training session was in full swing. I picked up on the fact that for Anne, the interactions between the dogs in her classes are a very important aspect of the lessons. But a lot of people with problems, what they do is they avoid other situations. It's, it's natural, isn't it? Because you go, that's a problem. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I've done yeah. that, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a, a natural thing that when mm. people got problems, they get anxious about it, so they avoid the situation. Um, and the dog... Dogs work from energy levels and from body language, mm. not from what we say. They yeah. can pick up on, on um, various commands, but not long sentences. They just pick up mm. the odd words. We babble to them like we do to a human being, and they have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. But they pick up from an energy level that is around us, not just what goes down the lead, but what goes around us, and from our own anxieties. So yeah. if we get anxious about a situation, or we see another dog... And we think, oh, there's going to be a situation. So you get anxious, the dog will react to your anxious, to your anxiety. Yeah. So you, we need to teach people to be calm. We need to teach people to let their dogs um, work as a dog and learn from other dogs. Teach them not to let them eye up other dogs. Uh, and it's all really teaching human beings that they have an animal and not a dog. Mm. And to work them as an animal and not a a dog and not a person yes, uh, and yes. that is the main problem people look at them as their little babies and they treat yeah. them as people and not as dogs mm. and that is where most of the problems come from yeah I was going to say you've set yourself a challenge there because even when you know the theory when it's your dog and as you say your baby and you kind of go don't do that leave him alone and, and it is that's your natural reaction it is a natural reaction um, but it doesn't always help the situation no, no. And it's getting across that. I'm not a parent. It's probably why I'm a lot more calmer. <laughs> because I'm not a parent, so I just think the dogs can deal with it themselves. Yeah, they yeah. can learn from themselves, and they deal better than we do. They do. That's they do. where our therapy dogs come into. Mm. Now, uh, tell me about your therapy dogs, because I'm fascinated with this. We have um, five um, collies. Mm-hmm. They are either Welsh or Border Collies. They have all worked with dogs all their lives with other dogs, whether they are hyper dogs, whether they are aggressive dogs that want to have a go at them, whether they're nervous dogs. Uh, We can put any dog in a situation with them, whether it's a very, very frightened dog or whether it's an aggressive dog, and they teach them dog socialisation. When you've got a a dog that's a little bit dog-to-dog aggression, without that structure, where do you take your dog to see how it behaves Mm -hmm. with other dogs? Mm -hmm. Because you can't go and put that into somebody else's... Um, dog and not knowing what's going to happen uh, so we have a pack of dogs there and they learn so much quicker yeah. from dogs than they do from people their yeah. signals are clearer and it's a language they understand mm. so that's where our therapy dogs have helped so many dogs come out of themselves and to not be aggressive and to, to be able to say that is acceptable behaviour and that isn't acceptable behaviour mm. it makes our work so much easier yeah. Yeah. because well it helps a little bit making it easier because we have a bigger struggle with the, the owners than we do with the dogs. Mm. Yes, I can imagine. The dogs Being... learn very quickly and they learn very well. The owners take a lot longer to learn mm. and a much more difficult um, yeah. at times to teach. But the dog structure is so much easier when you've got stable dogs to work with mm. and that's where our therapy dogs come in yeah yeah and i guess as well if you can take the, the owner a little bit out of that equation and i'm talking about myself there because i have a, a border collie who is reactive 
yeah. sort of isn't, isn't hasn't always been the most dog friendly, you know. And as you say, you can't sort of say to someone, "Would you mind testing my dog on your dog?" No, so you it's can't. A really say difficult that. situation. It is very difficult. We do tend to take the dogs off owners quite a lot and do them ourselves <laughs> because the dog then suddenly relaxes. Yes, and it yeah. gives us an idea how much of the problem is actually the dog's problem and how much of it is the owner's problem by how they react away from them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we know what we've got to work the, with. The thing is, I know that I'm part of my, my rescue's problem. But you still do but it. I don't know. Well, I don't. You think, well, I think, you know, I have to be responsible as well. Yes. You know, I have to think of the other person and their dog. Yeah. So as you say, it's a real... Um, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because... Absolutely. You can't let him go and do damage. So somebody like you, no. with, with, a, yeah. with a pack like that, is brilliant. And, and when we do put dogs, especially if they're a little bit anxious, and we put them in with a pack, we make sure that the owners are not very close by at the time they can probably be watching from far back so that their stress energy of anxiety of what may or may not happen doesn't then transform anything because we can be just we're just so calm and stand there and say right well what's going to happen is going to happen Mm. Um, and 99% of the time nothing happens because there's such a calm between us and the animals that nothing actually happens Uh, and and do you think some of that though is that you can read signals of a problem earlier than the average owner we can read the signals, we can read the eye contact, the body contact. We know what our dogs are going to behave like. Mm. Um, and we've usually already assessed the other dog before we put it in anyway. Mm. Um, so we've never had an injury or a dog being um, greatly attacked or, or anything other than more, than more than maybe a grab a hair of something and, and given a good shake and say, that's enough, pack yeah. it in. Uh, and the other dog will back off and say, oh, okay, I've learned that. Yeah. Yeah, because um, that's one of the things, isn't it? Dog communication sometimes can sound to a human awful, and it's legitimate so, communication. Yeah. And it's all noise. I mean, they, their 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 language is growls, um, barks for different reasons. Their eye contact, their body structure, um, and if a dog isn't reading it, it's because it doesn't understand it, and mm. it needs to learn it. And we can't teach that. another dog is the only thing that can teach that and the more dogs together that are stable the quicker it'll learn Mm. they will learn within a pack very easily which dogs they can play with which dogs they can't how long they can make a fuss of one dog which ones they're allowed to lie with which ones you avoid when there's food around and we can't teach them that the same as a dog can no no and sometimes i mean it seems to me with rusty he will pick up on a go away signal you know if it's a fairly assertive dog particularly terriers who are quite assertive you know and they're sort of giving the back off signals yeah. and he'll go all right whereas a boxer or a labrador that goes hello mate let's play and he goes what the heck and and it's the hit that's the confusion for him yeah, he's, he's not picking up the signals as clear mm. then. Um, they will always know which one is top dog. Mm. They can pick that up from a mile away. Yeah. And that's the one that they are less likely to go and jump on. Yeah. The other ones, perhaps, who are not giving quite so clear signals or maybe want the attention sometimes and not others, Yeah, that's when yeah. it takes a little bit longer for them to learn. But they still learn it quicker from other dogs than they yeah. do from us. Well, I'm sure you're making a, a big difference to a lot of people's lives. Uh, we hope so. That's the aim. Yeah. Um, th- whether they're older people who've just got companion dogs that need to be doing more or whether it's people with pet dogs that have problems or whether it's people that have got a really good relationship with their dogs but they just want to do more a bigger bond with them Um, whatever their problem is whatever the situation they have we're here to help them because that's what we want to do is try and get people dogs or whether it's a family whether it's children or whether it's the the adults is just to actually get the companionship from your dog that that's the reason you had it in the first place yeah Anne Reeves and her children Henry and Toby and niece Rachel had brought their flat-coated retriever puppy called Pepe to see Anne and ask for some advice Right, yes. Okay, and then they know that they've done it too hard, 
and they'll be a bit worried about it and they'll stop oh dear I've hurt you Wait. so you there need you to give that same oh, kind of reaction yeah. that as soon as you feel that it's a little bit too hard for what you like mm. you give a ow and then look at oh dear and yeah. then you praise it because it stopped okay okay um, and reward it with something that it can play with so you're just teaching him exactly what his brothers and sisters and mums and dads would teach him that that was too hard okay, okay? so that's the easiest way to teach teach him out of that but you have to be really quick with the timing and you all have to do the same thing right okay boys you think you can do that you're with this. <laughs> Distracted by the other Distracted with this. Okay. What about any other little problems you have with it? Well, what other things does he do? That's the main thing, isn't it? The other thing is to chewing on things in the house that he's not supposed to chew on. Yeah. Like uh, table legs he likes. And, right. Um, um, books. Does he do that when you're there or when you're not there? He does it when I'm there. He doesn't tend to do it when I'm not there. It's almost like an attention-seeking thing. Yeah. Has he got his own toys that he can play with? Yes, he's got loads of toys. He has got... Do you vary them at all? Uh, well, he's, he's just got access to them all the time. Yeah. It, it's a good idea to vary them and change them every now and... You know what I've got in my pocket, don't you, Sunshine? <laughs> um, so that he's not got the same... Because they'll get bored. Right. Bored so, of the same toys. Right. So if you've got a lot, yeah. just give him a limited number of maybe three or four toys, maybe for that few days or for a week. And then take those away and replace them with different ones. Is he is he old enough for things like rawhide yeah. shoes and things yeah, like that? Yeah, absolutely. Because okay? yeah, it'll help him with his teeth. Yeah. But I think something mean, we've tried giving him things like dentist sticks and things like that, but they, they don't last. They don't last very long. They're there yeah. to be eaten. Good, need something good to thing for him. Have you seen these cons? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He has got a con, like yeah. a sticky one, a stick one. Uh, yeah. Fill it with peanut butter. Oh, we tried that. He doesn't like peanut butter. Okay. Cream cheese. Well, cream cheese. Anything. Okay. Um, cook liver cake, and we bake that into them. So you okay. can put anything. We can bake it into them, and then you can freeze them. So that if you have two or three, you can cook something into it, freeze it, put it in the, put it in the freezer, and then the next time you need one, when he's finished one. Give him another one. When he starts doing something that you don't want him to do, call him off it, reward him, give him something that you want him to do. So you're not always shouting at him for doing things wrong or then presenting him with something that he's, he's allowed to do. So it's not just being, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. It's no, you can't do that, but go and do this. The same thing as you would with the children. Yes. Yeah. Don't go and do this. How about doing that? So, yeah. okay, it's telling him and being very clear what isn't, uh, isn't allowed and what is allowed. So you always really good thing to do is, is to give him something that varies toys, mm. otherwise they get bored. Okay, okay so that's, yeah. that's another good thing. And how is he getting on with his classes? He's doing well, actually. Yeah, yeah he's doing really well. He seems to be quite bright and quite quick to learn. Yeah. Um, and and are you all keeping him? Just me. Want to go and join him? <laughs> just you. just me. Yeah. yeah, it'll help fully if you can get the children to do a little. Well, bit. When, when we come, when I come home, I tell them what we've been doing. Yeah. they don't come to the actual classes with me. Is that because they're not allowed, or because it's you because don't want it to clashes with one of their activities? They ah. do karate tonight, so they it's can't do It's quite good if you can try and get them involved in the actual classes. Oh, right. Okay. Because they will learn a lot quicker than mum coming home and telling them something else. Because mum's always telling him to do this and that. And it also helps them to work with other people. They watch what people are doing. Right, and if yeah. they're not quite getting it themselves, they can actually see other people doing it. So it gives them a better learning capacity than just you coming home and telling them yeah. we've been doing this, that and the other. Because they actually see other people doing it. Okay. Alright, yeah. So if, it's, and take them if you can take them with him, that will be yeah. great. That'll yeah, be really good. Maybe okay. so juggle things around a bit. I really enjoyed my day with Anne and Roland, and the variety of classes and therapies they offer is clearly helping a lot of dogs and owners lead happier lives. It seems to me the team approach is really effective, and you can find out more about Rowan's dog therapy team on the Dogcast Radio site. The dog's most important job is still around. Like the legendary Cerberus, the dog still keeps many of us from the hell of loneliness. Tara and Kathy Darling. This episode is coming out very close to Thanksgiving in America, and I thought it was right to pause and reflect on what we have to be thankful for about our dogs. 
We just heard a quote that mentions that our dogs protect us from loneliness, and I think for many of us that is true. I never feel alone with Buddy, whether we're cuddling on the couch or walking through woods, and I'm very thankful for that. But he enhances my life in so many other ways. He gives me a reason to get outside and take some exercise, which goodness knows, on cold or busy days, I would otherwise just not do. To keep him safe from swallowing dangerous objects, I do a lot more tidying around the house than I would be naturally inclined to do. He has taken me on adventures I would never have had without him. He's introduced me to people I would never have met, both in person and via the internet, inspired me to write, and generally just been a wonderful companion. We Brits are not very good at being thankful, or at least we're not very good at opening up about it. But this Thanksgiving, more than ever, as Buddy approaches his 10th birthday and after his health problems this year, I am more thankful than ever to have him in my life. But here's a thought. I wonder what he's most thankful for. Dinner? A comfy couch? A tennis ball to chase? Who knows? What are you most thankful for about your dog? And what do you think your dog is most thankful for. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why is it called a litter of puppies? Because they mess up the whole house.